You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, welcome everyone to, as you heard, another episode of What the Dev. We're on a little different tack today, going a little vertical in the um, software-defined vehicle space. And with us today is Frank Ganassia. He's the Executive Chief Architect for Software-Defined Vehicles at General Motors. How are you doing, Frank? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. This is an interesting uh, area. I think everybody, developer, non-developer, is just fascinated by the notion of uh, automobiles that can drive themselves and have so much software in them that they really just basically have to steer at this point, and soon that'll probably go away. But uh, let's talk first about software-defined vehicles. That seems to be the term that we're talking about. How did that come about as opposed to autonomous cars or other terms that we've heard? So software-defined vehicles, like the acronym being SDV, it is really talking about something different than um, autonomous uh, driving technologies. It's, uh, it, it describes a trend that we're seeing in the automotive industry, whereby software uh, is moving away from being an enabler for delivering hardware features you know, the engine being the hardware, and then you have a microcontroller with software controlling the uh, the engine, as an example. And the same would go for airbag controls and um, air conditioning system and anything, uh, windows control, um, anything related to the um, uh, behavior of the vehicle as we know it. So that's been the role of software in vehicles as of today is to assist hardware. Um, what we mean by software-defined vehicles is that we're flipping the uh, the roles. Uh, so the hardware is really serving the software, and the features that are relevant for customers are delivered by the software. And that's why we call them software-defined vehicles. So it, it, it's really changing roles between hardware and software. Mm-hmm. Interesting. To, uh, to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, super interesting there. Uh, so now, is every automaker creating their own software packages? Are there kind of standard things that are going to be built into every car? Or, you know, how's it going to work? Like if I buy a software-defined car from General Motors, let's say, uh, can I take it to my mechanic? Or do I have to go to General Motors to have it serviced if something goes wrong with the software? Uh, how, how does all that work? So, so in terms of um, uh, maintenance and uh, and repair, uh, I believe that it will go through the same process for most of the software. Now, um, the same way, by the way, that if you have a phone and and something is broken, um, you go to a Samsung or a Google uh, specialized repair shop. So the same goes for automobile, and I think we'll continue um, in the same trend. However, if you're downloading, downloading an app on your phone and the app you know, is broken, then you send a, a bug report to the software provider from which you downloaded the software. And the same would go for, uh, for software in the vehicle. If you've downloaded an app that happens to come from a third party, then likely you will try to get support from that third party for um, uh, for maintenance and, and support and 
asking for new features, asking for the latest version uh, or for uh, future um, improvements. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you also asked about you know, who's developing and who's, uh, what is changing in software-defined vehicles. So each OEM will have its own strategy of what it's building in-house, what it's uh, sourcing. Uh, is it sourcing software from traditional tier ones, from uh, specialized software companies? But um, uh, so, so it, it, it's hard to define a, a general rule, but um, let's say the low-level software that we call mechatronics will probably um, follow an evolution that's closer to the traditional way of developing software. So either by um, tier ones or OEMs and software that's higher, uh, higher in the stack that's really related more to the software-defined content, like software that defines the features, being, um, you know, infotainment, uh, autonomous driving, or other use cases, um, that that is a market that is more open and where uh, other players may enter and contribute, and where OEMs may decide to uh, to build in-house as well. Now there are some um, software, for example, Google Auto is, is a framework that's being adapted uh, widely in the automotive industry. And so uh, the industry is looking at restructuring itself and, and uh, building partnerships and corporations with some somewhat new players. For example, um, GM has partnered with uh, Red Hat for building a safe operating system and uh, Red Hat being a kind of very known in, in the data center world or in, in the enterprise software uh, industry, but not so much in the, um, um, in the automotive industry. And the reason uh, for these cooperation is to embrace different types of software, different approaches to software development in the context of automotive. Hmm. Interesting. So um, I guess we'll find out more about that as as these partnerships evolve and, and things are gone. But are you seeing any sort of push to get more uh, standardization into into these cars? I know a lot of people were complaining about uh, battery types and different cars want to do. And I know this is hardware, but I'm sure the same thing is applicable in software, uh, you know. Where you know, if if Apple had a car, for instance, they would probably change the plug-in every year, and you know, you'd have to change your plug all the time. But uh, so, what what are we seeing on the software side in terms of any kind of movement towards standardization? I think you guys have uh, uh, come up with a couple of things. Yeah. So so th there's um, there's a trend in the in the industry in the automotive industry to understand how the industry overall can be more productive at, at developing software. The reason being that the software that we have to develop, the profile of that software is different from what we've been developing in the last decades. Um, and so, so we, knowing that the profile is different, we have to organize differently. We have to work differently and, and we can learn a lot from other industries that have embraced software and the types of software that uh, that we need to develop. 
so that we don't reinvent the wheel and adapt proven methodologies, proven approaches. And, and one trend is open source software that's been very successfully uh, applied in, in, let's say, the mainstream software development mm-hmm. that I think the, the automotive industry overall is, is intrigued and interested to understand how to adopt some of these concepts. And the other one is, uh, and combined with open source software is use standards and standardize around interfaces, software interfaces, and a few key technologies so that um, we don't reinvent the wheel for e by for each OEM to mm-hmm. invent and develop custom solutions, but to share um, some commonalities across the industry, so that suppliers and OEMs don't just reinvent what everybody needs to do. And so these are two trends that are important, and we're we're contributing um, to these two trends by. Uh, having joined the Eclipse Foundation back in March this year, and then Covisa, which is a uh, another organization to contribute um, a, a different um, uh, content, content, software content that we call new services. While in Eclipse, we contributed something that's called U Protocol that I, I can talk some more about if you're interested. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny that it's Eclipse, which started in the Java world, and uh, that was all about coopetition. You know, they would all agree on what the standards were going to be, but then their implementations would be their own, uh, uh, you know, differentiator. So is is that kind of what we're seeing in automotive? And then I, I would like you to talk a little bit about both the U protocol and the uh, U services that you, you you guys are developing. Yes. So so that that's exactly right. I mean, we want a kind of a safe ground for. Um, uh, the automotive industry to cooperate, although we also compete. And so that's uh, that's a very accurate description that you had where we're interested in, you know, we need the framework to uh, uh, work together uh, without competing and and by having the, the proper legal frameworks in place. And so Eclipse has a lot of um, history and a lot of experience in building those frameworks and enabling these corporations. And that's why we, we joined Eclipse, which is not particularly dedicated to automotive, as you know, but also helping out and, and, um, and helping to structure open source software development for the automotive community. And we're, we've also joined Covisa, which is um, an automotive-focused um, uh, organization but also embracing open source software and standardization of software APIs and data structures that are relevant for automotive. And, and so these are two complementary organizations that, um, that together help us work within the community, contribute, and, and also leverage, hopefully, some of the work that will be contributed by others uh, to the community that we can embrace and adopt as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, dive a little bit into uh, the two uh, platforms that we're talking about, the U services and U protocol, what the, what they're designed to do. So, so I'll start with, uh, with U protocol. Early on, when we, um, we embarked on this uh, software-defined vehicle journey, we realized that, you know, the vehicle itself is built of um, 
many what we call ECUs, electronics control units that embed um, software that all coordinate and, and cooperate and communicate, including very high-end chips to run the infotainment and driving assistance stacks. Um, and the way that, and we needed to invent a new way for these software modules distributed across the vehicle to communicate in an efficient way. Um, second thing is we realized that we're moving into a connected vehicle uh, era where vehicles are always connected. They're always retrieving data from the cloud, sending data to the cloud, and beyond the cloud also having mobile phones from our customers connected to their vehicles and, and, and therefore communicating. And so that kind of creates a large ecosystem of uh, distributed comp software components that need to exchange information within the vehicle and between the vehicle and other devices. And so, and all of these devices, they're running different operating systems, different software stacks, different communications protocols. And, and we face the problems, how, how do we you know, embrace that complexity and facilitate software development across that diverse environment? And so that's how your protocol was born. Your protocol is meant for um, software across that ecosystem to communicate, to communicate seamlessly. And um, and so, you know, the 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 logo or the the um, uh, the, the sentence for your protocol is enabling apps and services to communicate um, everywhere. And so. The underlying assumption of, um, of your protocol is that we have a, a communication scheme that supports service-oriented architectures to enable um, communication across large number of software components at scale and efficiently. And so um, the U protocol is really a mechanism for seamless service-oriented architecture across uh, heterogeneous environments, yet with a, a, a unified set of interfaces and mechanisms. So this is what U-Protocol is contributed to Eclipse as, as a framework for developing uh, software that uh, knows how to communicate across uh, uh, the environment I described. Complementary to that, and if you're talking about a service-oriented architecture, that means you have services, and these services need to expose interfaces, expose data structures, and expose uh, semantic for uh, related to these interfaces. And so, um, when we're talking about exposing vehicle services, we really think the way we think about it is very similar to the way. Android thought of a phone uh, when it was born, meaning that one important purpose of Android was to expose hardware features of a phone through software interfaces, through standardized software interfaces that would uh, run equally uh, across OEMs, OEM phones. So if you're such that if you're writing a software using these software interfaces, the same software you're bidding would run on a Samsung phone, on a, on a Google phone, on a uh, Huawei phone, anybody using the Android framework mm -hmm. um, 
you know, would have access to the underlying hardware features being the camera, the microphones, or uh, the IMU sensors um, uh, in a standardized, um, with a standardized set of software interfaces. And so we've used the same mindset for defining software interfaces that abstract uh, vehicles. So uh, now the same way that you can do as a human or as a, as a person in the vehicle to control air condition, to uh, lock and unlock the doors, to, um, um, I don't know, to control um, um, uh, the fans and the temperature and uh, energy management and so on. All of these features are available through a standardized set of software interfaces that we call U-Services. And this is what we've contributed to Covisa um, so that we, uh, we can help standardize uh, how, we, how software developers can access and control vehicles. Mm -hmm. So this is what U-Services is about. Wow. Uh, you know, I could talk about this for another hour, but uh, I know we're running up against time. But one one kind of funny question I want to ask you. Uh, I remember when I was back in high school, uh, you know, the kids who weren't going to be getting into MIT very often went into like, uh, you know, a track to become an auto mechanic or auto servicer. Now, do those kids have to go to MIT to become, you know, a mechanic and, a, and an automobile service person? Uh, you know, if it's all about the software now, uh, you know, it's going to be a whole new generation, I guess, of, of people who are going to be around for, for servicing. Well, first, yes, servicing vehicles that are mostly software, uh, let's say, uh, whose content is mostly software is, is are going to be serviced differently with different profiles. Hopefully, a lot can be automated because, you know, we're not expecting the garage to fix the software bug. Uh, so we're really mostly expecting servicing to be about um, downloading and installing the next software version uh, that will fix problems. And, and that can be managed without being a software engineer or having a PhD in uh, control systems. So, so hopefully uh, that part is, is taken care of. But I will use your question to to highlight that hopefully, you know, by um, having embracing open source software development and participating in in these communities and and standardizing uh, interfaces and and delivering simulation tools and development kits to enable software development for vehicles we can create a vibrant ecosystem of software developers that will innovate and come up with new use cases, new usages, and actually develop software to implement that without you know, just having to request an, or wait for an OEM to come up with the idea and develop the software so that it becomes available for end customers. And so hopefully what we're going through uh, with this journey that's starting uh, with SDV is to enable more innovation and a broader software ecosystem around vehicles. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I'll tell you, Frank, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back as uh, things progress and, uh, you know, as your work continues and kind of get updated to just how close we are to, to that uh, time of, uh, you know, the software-defined vehicles. Okay, so thank you. It's been my pleasure. 
Yeah, thank you for your time. And, and thanks for our audience, as always, for listening. Uh, again, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. Until next time, so long for now. <laughs>